The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Savior Jesus Christ. If you're a guest today, we're so excited that you're with us. Maybe you're here because of visiting uh, relatives or someone for Thanksgiving. Maybe you just uh, thought you've been driving by Emmanuel, thought you would worship with us today. We're delighted that you're here. You have found us in our worship experience each week. We are studying the New Testament book of Hebrews, and we're in Hebrews chapter 12. There's Bible in the rack in front of you. You'll see the scriptures come up, but I take the time to speak to our guests particularly this morning because it kind of got us right in the middle of a chapter here that if you've just arrived here for the very, this is your very first Sunday, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. And uh, and so uh, I, I just want to kind of maybe give apologies in that respect, uh, not for what I'm going to teach, but that the fact that it's if you don't have a context for us. The, now, those of you who've been studying Hebrews with us, we've been doing it most of the year. It's been verse by verse, concept by concept, sometimes word by word. This is going to fall together for you, and this will be one of those mornings where we tie up lots of loose ends, and you'll be like, oh, and it'll, it'll really make sense for you. There are two pieces of uh, information that we've given you so that you can follow along to the best of your ability this morning. One is the, is the part of your bulletin that always has the sermon notes in it. And then when you open your bulletin, you'll also find an insert that looks like this. And it says, uh, kingdom that cannot be shaken. And it's a timeline. And we'll, we'll be looking at both of these together. So uh, this is where we're at. God himself has revealed to us, because that's what the Bible is. Uh, there are so many people that are confused about God, and so many people like, you know, what? I'm confused, and nobody can really know who God is. And that's not the truth. God has revealed himself to us. God wants us to know him. He wants us to be his children. He wants us to enter into that relationship by faith through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And he's given us his word that we may, in fellowship, know the truth. He's also given every believer his Holy Spirit as the teacher. And so he's, he's revealed himself to us. So when we read this in Hebrews chapter 12, we're reading it together with all of the Scripture. That's why I've given you this timeline, because we're going to read like two sentences this morning is all we're going to read in Hebrews, but it makes these references to the great wealth of Scripture. And and what you have in Scripture is uh, from Genesis to Revelation, you have uh, 66 different books. The Bible is made up, the Bible is one book, but it's made up of 66 different books that were penned by 40 different humans over 1,500 different years on three different continents. What's incredible is that as you read it, you discover that it's perfect and seamless in its unity. Because you see, 
the 40 people who were the scribes weren't the authors of it. It has one author. It's God himself. And God is revealing himself to us. And so we find this now in Hebrews where he's going to make reference to the past and to the future just in these couple sentences. Those of you who were with us last week know that last week we looked at heaven. Hebrews chapter 12 has this beautiful description of heaven and what it will be. And we ended in verse 25, and that's where I want to pick up this morning. So we're in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. After the writer tells us what heaven is, he wants us to go to heaven. And so he says in verse 25, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Now, we studied this last week. We understand that the hymn is Jesus. So let me read the verse that way because then it makes perfect sense. See that you don't refuse Jesus. He's the one who's speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Jesus who warned them on earth, much less how will we escape if we reject Jesus who warns us from heaven. And that word heaven, as it appears in verse 25, is the conclusion of all of the dissertation about heaven, which we looked at last week. Now when we come to verse 26, he's going to really begin to talk about, well, if all of we are in heaven in terms of the history of the planet, what comes next for those that are still on earth. And so he says in verse 26, at that time, he's talking about history, he's talking about an event that's past. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Now, we're doing this, we have to do this week to week. So, so you read at that time and you're like, well, what time is that? What, what time was it when the Lord shook the earth? But if we had just been reading this through, it would have made sense to you. Go back to verse 18. In verse 18, still in Hebrews chapter 12, For you've not come to what may be touched, but to a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, to the sound of a trumpet and a voice that made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they couldn't endure the order that was given. In fact, the Lord said, Even if an animal touches the mountain, it'll be stoned. And indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. If you skip ahead to verse 26, now you know what it is when he says, at that time, when the Lord did this, when it was Mount Sinai and the law was given, he shook the earth. And so we, we have this question that we ask, and the question is, when did God shake the earth? When did his voice shake the earth? And the answer is, it, it refers to this period of time that encompasses two events. And the two events are the, the plagues that uh, God poured out on Egypt and the giving of the law through Moses. And so uh, in your, uh, on your timeline here, so you kind of have this so you can follow along. So the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, says there was a time when the voice of God, the, the character of God, shook the earth. And he tells us in verse 18, he gives us a clue to when that was. So then and that's easy for us. We go back into our Old Testament. We go back into Exodus, and we find all of this. Now, what transpired in Egypt was that uh, the, the children of uh, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, 
Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. The 11th was Joseph. Joseph's brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. He went to Egypt. He became the prime minister of Egypt. When a famine came across the whole world, he brought his family all to Egypt. So his other, then there was another brother that was born later, the Benjamin. So all 11 brothers, all of their families, they all came to Egypt and they lived there in special relationship to Joseph, the prime minister, and to Pharaoh, uh, his boss, until the scripture says, after years passed, there was another Pharaoh and another Pharaoh, and there's another Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. And they looked at all of the Israelites and they were like, man, there's a lot of them. And they live right here in Egypt. And if somebody ever comes and fights against us and they ally against us, they'll overcome us. And so they enslaved them. And they built things like the pyramids and stuff with this slave labor of the children of Israel, the children of Jacob and Israel. They had two names, Jacob and Israel. And so they are enslaved for 400 years until Moses is born and he becomes their deliverer. And he comes into Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And then this this incredible battle takes place between the arrogance of the greatest nationality in the country of the world at that time, Egypt, and, and their gods that they worshipped and their way of doing things, and the one true God himself. It is, it, is, it is not a fight, as it's sometimes portrayed, between Pharaoh and Moses. That's, that, that's not what it is. It, it, it's between the worship of the one true God, Jehovah, and the world worshipping itself. And you know that Pharaoh, the representative then of Egypt, would not let God's people go. And so you have these ten plagues. And, you know, uh, you could study this this afternoon. Uh, All the football games are going to be blowouts. You'll have plenty of time to do that. Or you can watch the movie. Um, So you got ten plagues here. So the children, God visits these plagues. The tenth is the is the institution of the Passover. It's the sending of the death angel. And every firstborn male in the entire land dies except where the blood is put on the doorpost of that house. And on those houses, the angel passes over. So Pharaoh lets them go. He one last time changes his mind. He's going to trap them against the Red Sea. The Red Sea opens up. They go through on dry ground. The Egyptian army swallowed up. Egypt's never again the world power that it was at that time. The Israelites go from the Red Sea then to Mount Sinai where God does the most incredible thing. It's, it's the giving of the law. No country, no ancient empire had ever had a comprehensive written law like this. And ever since then, every great civilization has had a law like the giving of Moses. In fact, they used Moses as the, as the framework or the foundation of that. And it's true of America as well. And when he gave the law, what we just read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, is the description of what happened when God left heaven, met Moses on Mount Sinai, and there was thundering and lightning and darkness, and, the, and it shook. And when God spoke, the people said, it's too scary for us, Moses, so let just, just let God speak to you, and you tell us what he says. And even Moses trembled with fear. And that is the first shaking of all that happened there. And then what you have in your timeline next is that was the giving of law is the institution of the old covenant. Now, all of you who have been with me from the beginning know that the writer of Hebrews is writing the book to say no one gets saved by the old covenant. Nobody ever got saved by the old covenant. 
that nobody got saved by bringing a, a bull or a lamb or a goat and sacrificing them or keeping the, the ritualistic law or the ceremonial law or the nutritional law or the sacrificial law. Everyone who's ever been saved on the face of the planet of the earth has been saved by faith. And that's why you have Hebrews chapter 11. Everybody's saved by faith. Jew, Gentile, Old Covenant, New Covenant, but that's when the Old Covenant was given. Now, just to give you a sense of this timeline, the next thing on your timeline is the coming of Christ. Now, there's all, of course there's a lot that happens in there that I don't have time to talk about this morning, but the, on this timeline, the next thing is the coming of Christ, his, his gospel work of bringing salvation for us, that is his death, burial, and resurrection, and then the mediation of a new covenant, because we couldn't keep the old covenant. There's none perfect. No, not one. There's none that longs for God. There's none that can fulfill the obligation of the Old Testament except Jesus. Jesus perfectly fulfilled it. When he went to the cross, he was perfect. And so he became the perfect sacrifice. And he did for us what we could never do. He could bring us back together with God the Father. Now, from the institution of the Old Covenant to the work that Jesus does in the induction of the church age is about uh, 1,450 years. So on your timeline, that's how much space is in there. But Jesus comes. He does that work. He ascends back to the throne of the Father 40 days after his resurrection. The Bible says that the disciples prayed in the upper room in Jerusalem for 10 days. And on the day of a high holy feast of the Jewish nation, which is called Pentecost, the day of atonement was his death. The day of Pentecost is the sending of his resurrection. That always, always happens 50 days later on the calendar. That's the day that the Holy Spirit came and the church period of time, the church age. Here's a, here's a word you'll hear sometimes. I use it. I, I always want to apologize when I use it. Dispensation. That just means a period of time in history. Uh, that starts. And so, so that's the last thing on the top line of your of your timeline. I mean, it's our, our piece of paper is not big enough for us to stretch the timeline out, so we cut it in half. And the first thing on the bottom of the next line is the rapture of the church. Now, once again, to give you a sense of that, from the, from the coming of the Holy Spirit and that first day of Pentecost to the rapture of the church, which hasn't happened yet, we're already about 2,000 years. All right? So you can see my timeline's not to scale, right? So, so just really, you leave the top line, and by the time you get to the bottom line, 2,000 years to the rapture of the church. And now we come back to Hebrews chapter 12. Just read this along with me. He says in verse 26, at that time, he's talking about history. He's talking about Mount Sinai and what happened in Egypt. At that time, God's voice shook the earth. But now he's promised, here's a quotation, this is the words of God, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now, first rule of biblical interpretation is let the Bible interpret itself. Uh, Have any of you heard the weirdo kooky guy who says that a planet that he named that doesn't exist, that NASA's never seen, is going to run into the uh, earth this week and destroy us all? Anybody heard that? So it's always out there. Uh, there's always some kook that says the world's going to end at this stage. And so here's what happens. People think because there's kooks that are out there, 
that nobody really knows any of this stuff. And when somebody teaches it, well, we're all kooky. But God is revealing himself here. And he reveals it. It is his intent that you get this, that you understand it. So he's going to interpret this for you in verse 27. He says this phrase, remember, in verse 26 he says, Yet once more I will not only shake the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, verse 27, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. And you're like, well, what are things that are shaken? So he's going to tell you that. That is, things that have been created, things that are seeable, things that have been made, things that you can touch and know, in order that the things that cannot be shaken, spiritual things, may remain. So, he says, in the past, there was a time when God, by his voice, by his character, intervened in the history of mankind, and he shook the world. It's the ten plagues of Egypt. This, this fight of, of, is man in charge of man? Can man do the work himself? Or is there a God that we bow down to and surrender to? And that happened in Egypt. And then he, he brought these, these, these children of Jacob, of Israel, out to Mount Sinai, and he said, here are the rules to live by. And he did that, and he shook the world when he did that. The Mount Sinai just was burnt off the top, and, and the voice and the thundering just scared everybody. And he gave them the law. He gave the law to Moses. That's history. We know that happened. We have that. But what we don't have and can't know because it's future still to come is that God's going to do this again and it's going to be bigger. He's not just going to shake the earth. He says, I'm going to shake the earth and the heavens. He's talking literally about our galaxy and our universe. And he says, and I'm going to shake everything that's in the physical realm to, in order to get the world's attention. So everything that science knows is going to be turned upside down. It's going to be shaken. It's going to become unknowable in that sense so that the things that are spiritual will be revealed as the real things. Here, here let's just do, a, let's do a, just a real quick object lesson. God's always been in the shaking business. Did you know that? Uh, Paul and Silas, they go to a city called Philippi. They preach the gospel. They get arrested. They get thrown in jail. It's a Roman colony. Roman legionnaires got them. They're in jail. Then that night, they are singing praises to God. They are rejoicing that God would count them uh, 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 with enough blessing that he would allow them to suffer for the name of Jesus and God is so delighted, he sends his angel, and the world now numbers six billion in population, and now a third, now a third of six billion is still the same number, it's two billion. And so a third of the world's population dies, and now half of the world's population has died, and from the, from the rapture of the church on your timeline until this event called uh, the abomination of desolation, that's three and a half years. So you've had 1,450 years from the institution of the Old Covenant, and then, and then you have 2,000 years from when Jesus came to where we are now, and then you just have three and a half years. 
three and a half years, half of the world's population dies. The abomination of desolation is a big theological phrase. A lot of people are like, what, what is that? I have no idea what that is. Here's all it means. That the Antichrist will make a, uh, he'll make a treaty with Israel. In fact, for, for a while, Israel will think that he might be the Messiah. And they're going to have a new, uh, they're going to build a new temple. And, uh, and then the Antichrist is going to go in the temple. And uh, he's going to take uh, he, he's going to sit on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and declare himself to be God. And that's called in the book of Daniel an abomination that will produce desolation. And when he does that, Daniel records and John records in the Revelation that the Israelites, the scales will fall off their eyes. He will break his treaty with them too, by the way. He'll declare himself to be God. He will break his treaty with them that's kind of protected them from the other nations. And they will recognize he's not the Messiah. He's the anti-Messiah. He's the anti-Christ. And almost to a person, the entire nation of Israel will be saved. And 144,000 of them will not only be saved, but they will be traveling evangelists that go around and preach the gospel to the 4 billion people that are still on the planet, and many of them will be saved. And those who give their lives to Christ, the Antichrist will kill them. It, it, there will be no, there'll be no false conversions in that day. There'll be nobody that goes, yeah, I think I want to follow Jesus. No, if you follow Jesus, you will die. They will be martyred during that time. So that's what goes on. After that, that's the three-and-a-half-year period, we come to the seven bowls of judgment. You see the seventh trumpet down below? The seventh trumpet is the opening of the seven bowls of God's wrath. So you, you get through the first seven judgments on earth to think, okay, we made it through that. No, you didn't. There's seven more judgments. You get through that. You know there's seven more judgments. Here are the seven bowls of God's judgment. You can find these in Revelation 16. The first bowl causes painful sores in all of humanity. The second bowl is the death of the oceans. Imagine what that means ecologically. The death of the oceans. The third bowl causes rivers to turn to blood. Does that sound familiar? Look at the very first plague in Egypt. Uh, the water is turned to blood. That was the Nile. That was only one river. This is going to be all the rivers of the world. The fourth bowl results in the sun's heat being intensified. Is there global warming? Yeah, absolutely. But it's not man-made. It's God-made. We, we don't have the ability to stop it. It will continue, and God already told us ahead of time so the sun's heat is intensified. There's supernatural darkness. The Euphrates River, the sixth bowl, is dried up. And the Antichrist will use the dry riverbed to bring all the armies now against Israel, Gog and Magog, now against them. And then the seventh bowl results in a devastating earthquake followed by giant hailstones. You know, we know something about hail in Montana. We get it almost every summer, right? Some years we all lose roofs and windshields and cars are dented. And that happens when hail gets walked in. About golf ball size, we all get into trouble. When it's baseball size, it's not like when it's baseball size, you don't just like put on your hard hat and run out to roll up the windows in the car, right? 
If it gets to softball size, just kills and damages. Revelation records the size of this hail storm, the seventh of the of the bowls of wrath. The hailstones will be a hundred pounds each. God lays all of this out for us. Sometimes people say, Oh, oh, Paul, all of these things are just symbolic. They weren't symbolic in Egypt. They were real. God gives them to us so that we can understand them. We already have NASA at work trying to figure out what are we going to do if an asteroid ever comes this way and actually hits the planet. That's not symbolic to NASA. Global warming's not symbolic to climatologists. These things that I'm reading about now, maybe 2,000 years ago, the early church was like, who could understand these things? When I read this to you, you should be going like this. "Uh Uh-huh. I see it now. Why does he say all of this? Will you go with me back to Hebrews chapter 12? He says all of this. Let me start in verse 26 and read it through. At that time, in past, in the history, his voice shook the earth. But now he's promised yet once more, I'll shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. He, he wants you to get this because there's something for your life that he wants you to have that cannot be shaken. What happens at the end of these, this tribulation period is the return of Christ, the battle of the Armageddon, a thousand-year millennial reign, and the eternal state. And that finishes your timeline. But in, in Hebrews chapter 12, what comes next is this. Therefore, since, since what, is, what cannot be shaken will remain, therefore, let us be grateful because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Say amen. See, I've been doing this, and all along you've been thinking, like, this is your Thanksgiving sermon? Here it is. Here it is right here. We should be thankful. We should be grateful. Why? Because the shed blood of Jesus Christ, as applied to your life, that takes your sins away and gives you God's righteousness, cannot be shaken. Because heaven reserved for you as your eternal home cannot be shaken or taken from you. Because the righteousness of God given to you through Jesus Christ can never be taken away from you. Satan can't do it. God's going to shake everything that's physical so that that which is spiritual that which we have in Christ Jesus. We're the sons and daughters of God. Say amen. We're the kingdom of priests. Amen. That can't be taken from you. It can't be shaken. And so we should be thankful. That's what makes Thanksgiving different for us. Thanksgiving is fundamentally a different holiday for us as believers from the rest of the world. The rest of the world has this whole thing put together. Uh, we all, we've all known that Friday's Black Friday. Now Cyber Monday, that's, that represents the greed and materialism of the world. Did you know that now Wednesday is called Blackout Wednesday? Did you know that? Do you know why it's called Blackout Wednesday? It has nothing to do with merchandising. We've now discovered, we, just, we figured this out in 2015, that beer and liquor sales go up 
250% Wednesday night. People just, they just drink themselves into Thanksgiving Thursday morning. It's literally given, it's been given a name now. Blackout Wednesday. Just get snockered. Why? Because the world doesn't have anything to be thankful for. In fact, Thanksgiving now, there's a movement to call it Friendsgiving. Have you heard that? Friendsgiving, because that's when you get together with your friends. It's not the day when you stop and still your soul before the almighty God of the universe who has the ability to shake everything in your life and say, thank you for giving me that which is unshakable. So you, if you write in your Bibles, there's the first underline. You should give thanks and be grateful because you've been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. What does acceptable worship look like? Given what we just studied, I, I would submit reverence and awe. Think that's acceptable worship. And for those who don't know God as Father, for those who will know Him as Judge, verse 29, our God is a consuming fire. The Bible always does this. I want, I want this to be clear. For those of us who are the children of God, sons and daughters of God, a kingdom of priests, who have, whose sins have been forgiven, who have the righteousness of God, who have the Holy Spirit of God, who have heaven as our eternal home, who have been given grace and mercy and peace that passes all understanding and the joy of the Lord, that is one experience that's different from rejecting Him. Remember back in verse 25? Rejecting God. And believing that I'm just on my own, I'm my own boss, I'll do what I want. And whether you're the Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Babylon, or whether you're just a, a, just a Fortune 500 giving as much money as you can, I will live my life with my rules, and I'm not going to submit, submit myself to God. That person falls under the wrath and the judgment of God. And the last phrase of chapter 12 is, for that person... It's not the loving Heavenly Father. For that person, our God is a consuming fire. Those are the two experiences. You either know God as judge in a consuming fire, or you know him as Abba Father. You know him as one who forgives your sins. And so what does the writer say to you? Don't reject Jesus. Receive Jesus. This is still the day of salvation. This is still the accepted time. You can receive Jesus this morning. You can ask Jesus in your Christ. You can ask for the forgiveness of sins today. You can give him your life. Believer, you've already done that. Isn't it time that you live with a different kind of thanksgiving than you had in the past? Shouldn't it look different? I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. We're doing this not because I'm out of sermon, but because I'm out of time. But I wonder this morning, even if you're a guest here and you haven't been studying Hebrews with us, I wonder if the Holy Spirit of God has maybe spoken to you. And God's saying to you, I, I want you to receive my son. The reason Jesus sent his son is he says, he says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. That's what he longs for you to do. You can pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins. Come into your heart and life. Tell him the best that you know how from this day forward. You'll make him the king of your life and do what he asks you to do. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Believer, you've already done that, but is it possible that you started living like the world? 
Is it possible that you're going into Thanksgiving thinking you don't have anything to be thankful for when you have everything to be thankful for? Is it a time that we live different lives, knowing that the rapture could happen at any moment, and we have family members, we have loved ones, people maybe that are going to sit at our Thanksgiving table who don't know Jesus? Should we be asking God to move in their lives in powerful and wonderful ways? Maybe God is asking something else of you that that I don't know anything about. But he's saying to you, "I, I want you to stop this, or I want you to start this. He's calling you to something. Don't you see that holding on to things that are physical, things that can be shaken, won't do you any good at all. Let go of all of it for the glory of God. Father, you know our hearts. You know the journey of every single person here this morning. You know our burdens. You know our difficulties, our challenges, and our struggles. And you sent Jesus to us. You sent Jesus to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. Not a one of us can save ourselves. But Jesus went to the cross, and he died for us that we might have this powerful, wonderful, gracious, merciful, everlasting life in your presence forever and ever. Father, we pray that this morning some have given their lives to you. We pray that this morning those who have given their lives to you, that you seal that by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that as believers, we would leave this room with a different heart attitude, a new kind of thanksgiving, knowing that you're a great and merciful God. Father, do this in our lives for your glory, for your honor, for your strength, that your power would be demonstrated in us. And we promise to give you that glory, not take credit ourselves, but tell everybody it's always only ever been about Jesus. And we pray this in the most precious and wonderful name of your Holy Son. And all of God's people said, Amen. I told you that uh, that which is just two sentences in Hebrews 12 is, is pulled apart in detail in Revelation. And for benediction this morning, I want to read from Revelation chapter 18, what happens as Scripture progresses is the the symbolism of the arrogance of Egypt uh, is replaced in name by Babylon. And so instead of reading about Egypt in Revelation, you read Babylon as symbolic of the world system. And in Revelation chapter 18, one of the heavens, uh, one of the angels shout out, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She had become a dwelling place for demons a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. All the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. The merchants of the earth have grown rich with the power of her luxurious living. It sounds like the greed and lust and passion of our world today. And then John says in verse 4, And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. You see, we don't belong to Babylon. We We don't belong to the world. We're saved. Our citizenship is heaven. But sometimes we forget and we start to live like her. And so we're reminded here the admonition are, is come out of her, my people, lest you partake in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And so what does he say to us? What kingdom do you belong to? Babylon? No. No. You belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken.
Have a great day. God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving. listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.